Welcome everybody to another episode of the Crushcast today. Andrew Flores, former national chair of the NAF, Silver Eagle Plus advisor. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure, Jim. Thanks for having me. Let's go back to when you broke into the business, 2008, similar, I guess, to some degree, very disruptive period of time. What was it like for you? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of drinking out of the fire hose, probably not unlike everyone else. It was just a, a special time, you know, and I didn't, uh, didn't know any better at the time, but it was, it was very challenging. And so there was a lot of, uh, lot of obstacles, but uh, as we all know in this business, ob obstacles can quickly be turned into opportunities. So um, I struggled out of the gates, as I think a lot of us did, particularly in that time. But, you know, one of the things I learned was partnering with people that have been there before me, getting mentors and uh, getting borrowed confidence. And that's what ultimately allowed me to navigate through 2008, 2009. And, uh, and come out a better advisor on top. Borrowed confidence. So you were working joint with people that had been there and had a high degree of success? 100%, 100%. I think having a mentor, having someone that can help guide you through this business is probably the number one thing. Uh, joint work that if I could, you know, share with some of the young advisors that may be listening. Um, I mean, you know, uh, this business has been around for a long time. So uh if you want to get your your horizons expanded and, and get shown the journey, just uh, just uh, step on the shoulders of giants and titans in our industry. And Equitable has a lot of them. So 08, 09, massive intraday volatility, huge geo concerns about the economy. What was it that made you stick? All these external indicators were awful. <laughs> well, you know, they say ignorance is bliss. So I didn't know what I didn't know. All I knew is I had to keep working. I had to eliminate the things that were out of my control and focus on the things that were. So showing up every day, you know, I, I told my team every time we come into the office, it's, we either make a deposit or withdraw. And I think that can be said with our energy, with our uh, level of preparedness that we bring to each and every day and just attacking the day. We, we um, adopted the mantra, we earn our weekends. So if our calls aren't made, if our appointments aren't uh, done, and if we haven't had our production, we're in here Saturday morning. I love that. Well, when you go hard, the fact is that doesn't take energy. It gives energy. And if you're in an environment with others that are doing the same thing, that's contagious. I, I could not agree more, Jim. I, I, uh, I think that people don't get tired. Uh, if you have passion, you don't get tired. So people that are tired, they don't, it's not because of energy levels. It's just because maybe they lack passion. So we keep going. We love this business. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's just very important. A positive mindset is the ultimate competitive advantage, I think. There's this Dan Sullivan concept, unique ability, and it's the intersection of three things. Something that you do really well, something that you could do it all day and you do not get tired. And it's something that generates revenue. And so if you, if you can build that sweet spot, you don't fatigue. You're exactly right, Jim. We call that our zone of brilliance the intersection of purpose, passion, and profit. And uh, we try to spend at least half our day in that zone. And uh, I couldn't have said it better. How do you plan? I mean, so if you're in the zone of brilliance, you had a great day. If you spent 60% of your day in the zone of brilliance, at the end of that day, you are probably fired up. Are there any specific techniques that you use to get there? Yeah, so two things, right? If I'm young in the business, our mantra is pretty simple. All you got to do is make enough to stay enough to learn enough. 
You got to make enough money to stay in the business so that you can learn enough from your peers and accelerate. And if we're on the other side of that, if we've been around the business for a long time, I think the mantra changes a little bit. I think it's see the people, meet the people and delegate. Yeah. You've got to constantly adjust because if all you're doing is acquiring clients as an ESF, at some point you get buried in follow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you create this, uh, you know, if everything goes well, you can create this just machine and it can be very powerful. This business can be very powerful. And to your point, it can, it can start to take a mind of its own. And so uh, being very diligent with time management and uh, the seven F's, you know, living a, uh, a balanced life can become very important because you can create this just monster of a business that can have huge impact and look back and, and it just, you know, um, you got to keep, you got to tame the beast and keep it under control and, uh, and stay balanced while you're doing it. I did a little homework in advance of this call and I saw you had a monster year last year by anybody's terms, but also a 40% increase over the prior years. Would you have known in January of 21 that you were going to have a 40% increase? No, you know, uh, I, I think that came to, you know, a lot of our, uh, we were pleasantly surprised, but I, you know, I can tell you, we don't, you know, we, we look at production as a byproduct of doing the small things right every day and staying fundamentally sound and making our calls, making our appointments. We break everything down to a weekly routine. And we know that if we can stay consistent, that all the PCs and the production will take care of itself on the back end. We had a panel session at ARC, and I recall you talking about joint work. And so many of us, we talk about how big of an impact joint work had on our development. But then when we talk to ESF that are absolutely rocking, it's not always a core component of their business anymore. It is for you. So can you share your philosophy on joint work and also your mechanics? Yeah, I mean, you can accomplish a lot if you don't care who gets the credit, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and I really borrowed that. And, and I can tell you, as an ESF, I'm you know, almost 15 years in the business. You know, selfishly, I've gained a lot of energy from joint work. Uh, a lot of advisors that have come in and, you know, kept, you know, kept me accountable. You know, sometimes you get a little lax or you get a little linear routines and you got to switch it up. You know, you got to continue to evolve. And so um, when advisors find out, you know, one of the things that work, they tend to go back to the well time and time again. And so, um, you know, joint work from an ESF perspective has been good in terms of making that one plus one equals three and uh, helping bring people that, to the organization that I would have not been able to find otherwise. Um, and, and then also just, just making sure that we always stay on top of our game, Jim, and that we're always learning the new concepts and that we can truly be a great um, joint work partner for those advisors that introduced their clients to our firm. So with a DSF that's listening, what guidance would you give to that DSF about how to create, open the door to a joint work relationship with an established advisor? That's a great question. I, you know, I think it comes back to having, you know, just like anyone else that you create business relationships with, go talk to someone, see if your energy, see if your vision uh, see if you can get along and work and, you know, see if you have good, similar uh, moral beliefs or whatever it is surrounding your business, right? And you've said it before, and we've heard all the time when, when values are clear, decisions are easy. So if you can find and partner yourself with someone that has a similar value system, I think that can be very conducive to a, a very healthy business relationship, personal relationship, and, and, and just lead to a lot of uh, productivity within the team. So connect to get acquainted rather than just rushing straight into a call. 
I think so. I mean, you know, I mean, hopefully, you know, I, I look at it as the same thing as when we bring on a client. We don't want to be transactional. We want yeah. to be around the relationship. Group. Yeah. And so if we invest in people, which I can tell you, Jim, has been the best investment I've ever made in my career. You know, you want to you want to do that and make sure that you're surrounding yourself. You got people, uh, the right people on the bus in the right seat. And uh, and then ultimately you can you can foster hopefully a long lasting relationship with that advisor. Let's go deeper on that statement. The best investment you've made in the business is in people. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, in order to get true leverage, in order to really scale your business, because I think business is pretty easy, Jim. You got to create the blueprint. Step one, step two, scale the blueprint. And how do you do that? Well, you got to have systems and processes, but you have to have people to execute that. Poorly written systems or no systems at all can cause extraordinary people to have mediocre results. And so you can have the great game plan, but you got to have the players on the field to execute. Let me go to your stretch as the chair of the NAF. If, are there one or two biggies that you took away from that experience? And I, I, I got to tell you, Jim, that was a very, uh, a very humbling experience. I was, I was uh, NAF chair during the transition of 2020, you know, when COVID hit and everything mm-hmm. got I learned a lot as far as from a leadership perspective. And a lot of that I, I, I got directly from, from you and Dave and, and the equitable leadership team in terms of making decisions, sticking to them. Not everyone's going to agree with you, but you got to keep moving forward and you got to make the best decision that you can with the information that you have. And so I learned to be very quick, you know, be very nimble, have to you know, adapt to a changing world on a daily basis, but also lead from the front, you know, uh, and, and try to be able to switch agendas and, but then also be very productive and make sure that we spent our time in the most meaningful way possible. It's a huge investment of time. And what's so astounding to me, I followed it and it happens every time. Whoever comes in as the chair of the NAF has a huge growth year. How on that, I mean, how can that possibly be? Well, you know, I, I think I think when you take on, you know, a task like the chair or any role, you've got to be very, very just particular with your time and how your time is being spent. Just you're extra sharp on a daily basis. There is no days off. You know, you come in, you get you, you go to work and you do what it takes. And so at least for me, it really helped me to evaluate and prioritize my calendar. And I was able to do so much more in the same amount of time or less just because we were able to condense things and uh, just to get extremely efficient because we were forced to do so. It forced focus. So we can do more, but it doesn't necessarily take more time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Pro, uh, you know, activity doesn't always lead to productivity. So we, we focus on, uh, on that piece to making sure that we're extremely productive in the time that we you have. You are crazy gifted at, at these off-the-cuff quips. You've had like 10 of them. These are <laughs> extraordinary. All right, here's a closing question for you. I know you have a passion for cars, for racing. How have you managed to integrate that into your business? You know, I think it goes back to, you know, mixing uh, some of your passions with some of your business. And so, you know, I just kind of, you know, it was always an escape for me. And I never, at least early in my career, approached that market as a business perspective. It was more of an escape. But then I realized, you know what, these people need help. They don't get help from me. They're going to get help from somebody else. And who's going to give them a better, a better advice than uh, me or, or a member of our team? So I think when you have that mind shift, it almost becomes an obligation for us to share, share our story with people 
because people want advice, they need advice, they just don't always know where to find it. And I don't think we as advisors should be shy with sharing with people what we do and how we impact lives. This has been a wide ranging and awesome discussion. Andrew Flores, thanks for all you do. Thanks for your leadership. Thanks for all these extraordinary observations on how to get better. Great discussion.